There it is. Again. One, two, three, four! I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Debbie Harry! That's right. You sing with that rock group. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hi, everybody. I'm Tony. And I'm Joseph. Welcome to the Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark episode of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave from 1976 to 1986. Commercial success was virtually instantaneous for Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark in their home country of England, but it would take seven years, six albums, and a big assist from some dude named John Hughes for them to break here in the United States. The soundtrack for John Hughes' 1986 film Pretty in Pink contained Orchestral Maneuver in the Dark, or OMD's, biggest U.S. hit. The next two years saw OMD score three more much smaller hits before they returned to being largely ignored here in the States. So if you're American and the name OMD isn't ringing a bell, chances are you know at least one of their songs. So let's start off with a little memory jogging. United States, you couldn't ignore um, that song. It was so popular. The John Hughes soundtrack, Pretty in Pink. Was that the song that introduced you to OMD? It was. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, for me, you know, being here in the United States and, you know, with Rob and I both kind of growing up in a small little town in California, uh, for me, that was the first time I'd heard of them. Uh, they had a couple of, you know, uh, like you said, minor hits there for a few years. And that was pretty much my full exposure to them. This past uh, month, really deep diving into their early catalog just gave me a completely new appreciation uh, for OMD. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, an exciting guest, um, someone that I've I've been wanting to get on the show for um, a while now. Uh, Can't wait to introduce him. But first, we've got some business to take care of. The mo- the elephant in the room, we are on, this is, I believe this is our 89th episode, and it's the first one without Rob, so this feels a little weird, <laughs> but it's great because finally I get to talk some smack about him behind his back, I guess. <laughs> For people who listened to the last episode, Rob is not here, not because he didn't want to talk about OMD. It was it was purely a scheduling thing. It got obvious it got to the point where it was obvious that to get the episode out on time, and I'm happy to say that it'll actually will get out on time. We had to choose between either having our guest and having Rob. 
And as much as I love Rob, I've, our guest is going to be much more entertaining and informative when it comes to OMD. So, so this is this is going to be um, this is going to be a weird one. I, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but Tony, I appreciate you you stepping up and helping me co-host. No, I'm uh, excited to be here, and and like I said, OMD uh, over the years really has become one of my favorite bands. And the appreciation of their early work and just opening my eyes to all of that and, and getting to talk yeah. about that with our guest is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Another point of business, I'm happy to say that my squeaky chair has been banished from the office. So if if you're anything like me, the last couple of episodes, that squeaky chair would have um, driven you crazy it certainly drove me crazy as i was editing so i'm happy to say no more squeaky chair two more quick things before we get to our guest if you are in austin texas in the next several weeks and are looking for an opportunity to go out listen to some great music have some fun mock lobster our favorite b52's tribute band will be playing on november 26th at the far out lounge and december 10th at perishing hall so if you're fortunate enough to be in the area and want to check them out uh, you can probably go to their uh to mock lobster's facebook page or their website to get more details on that and lastly, of course, as always, I have to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show, but even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated, because ultimately we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was created during a pretty unique period of time. Okay, Tony, let's get to our very exciting, much anticipated, at least by me, guest. Our guest tonight is Patrick. I'm very excited. Uh, he is uh, uh, one third of one of my favorite podcasts called Known Pleasures. They talk about punk, post-punk, and new wave of the late 70s and 80s, so obviously he's my kind of guy. Welcome, Patrick. So excited to have you on. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's, um, it's, a, it's an exciting trans-Pacific um, <laughs> event that, 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 that you've conjured up. I feel very honored. That's right. So you are one-third of Known Pleasures. Yeah. Your co-hosts are Mark and Graham. Uh, and you are, you sound like authentic Aussies to me. Are all three of you uh, born and raised in Australia? Oh, well, funnily enough, only one of us was born in Australia, although we, uh -huh. all, we all ended up in Australia by the time we were five years of age. I was born in London. So I'm, uh -huh. dis I'm disappointed you, you don't think I've got a Cockney accent. It's very... <laughs> hey, um, I, I know two dialects. American and everything else. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you are quite right. No, certainly we all sound Australian to, to, to my ears. Absolutely. Sounds like the three of you have been friends like forever. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I mean, we've, we've all been friends since the, like, the kind of late 70s, early to mid 80s. You know, when we yeah. were like kids, teenagers, that kind of thing. And we all played in indie bands together in the early, sorry, separately and together in mm -hmm. some instances in the early to mid 80s. 
So yeah, we've so we've just talked endlessly about post-punk and new wave and and punk music for almost as long as we can remember. Is it fair to say that of the three of you, you're probably the most um, uh, active uh, OMD fan? I think so. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. uh, Mark and Graham are guitarists, um, sort of in spirit mm-hmm. and in and in practice, and I am a synth nerd. So. Sure. You know, I yeah, I, I, I was one of those um, you know androgynous kind of moody-looking synth players, uh, you know, in the mid '80s, uh, playing to empty rooms in the band that I was playing in, and uh, yeah, whereas they were they were they were hotshot guitarists, so uh-huh. that that certainly um, comes to light in terms of our favourite bands, and so yeah, I'm I'm definitely the the OMD fan if there is one out of the three of us. Perfect, and. I get the impression that you were, for the most part, consuming OMD in real time. Yeah, I, I just missed out on the first album. So the second uh-huh. album, Organization, was one that I heard more or less in real time. Yeah. Uh, like, like a few months af- after the fact. Um, and then kind of worked backwards to, to the first album from, from there. And ever since then, you've you've been consuming them real time. So yeah. so this is great. We we get a, a boots on the ground perspective um, that that you know um, you're not going to get from Tony or I. Down to the matter at hand, we are talking all things OMD. We are going to cover the first eight albums. So here's a little OMD 101. I'll go over the some of the basics and then. Um, Tony, you and Patrick can chime in with anything else you think uh, might be of interest. So fundamentally, OMD uh, have two members, uh, Andy McClowski, who uh, does most of the lead vocals and plays bass, and then Paul Humphreys, keyboards and vocals. On their second album, they were joined by Malcolm Holmes, who uh, does all things drums and percussion. And then on their third album, they were joined by Martin Cooper, uh, who contributes with uh, keyboards and saxophone. They have a total of 14 studio albums, the 14th one, being released just this year. Have either of you had a chance to to listen to Bauhaus Staircase? No, not yet. No, no, I'm mm. keen to. Mm, yeah, I uh, I spent the last hour listening to it real quick. It is not bad. It it is it is probably better than it has any right to be. I mean, it's not going to surprise anybody to to hear that they they don't have um you know their youthful vigor um, (laughs) of of the the earlier stuff, but, but it's pretty good. Uh, The top five Spotify songs. um, Number one is Enola Gay. So I, I was pleased to see that it's not, if you leave, of course, if you leave is number two, electricity. One of my two very favorite OMD songs is number three. So In Love is number four, and Secrets is number five. And that's what I've got for uh, OMD 101. Do either of you want to chip in with any sort of anything you think 
people should know before we get into their music? I think you've you've covered it pretty well. There are there are all sorts of things that that, that we could talk about in terms of their background in Liverpool and mm-hmm. and 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 all that. But I think it'll it'll come to light as we're sort of talking about the albums anyway. Perfect. Uh, what about you, Tony? I know that you are you are always a wealth of trivia and information. <laughs> well, and and this might be something Patrick knows the answer to is. The thing that amazed me about the you know their early start is I think they had a what a seven or eight album uh, record deal for two hundred and fifty thousand pounds I believe, and that just seems incredible in this day and age that you would sign somebody up that basically maybe had a song or two and was in a group and and you would pay them that much for that many albums before you really knew uh, if they were. Uh, you know, they had the the stuff to make it through that long of a period. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they'd, they'd only been in existence for eight months when they were offered a seven album deal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, are we ready for rankings? Let's do it. Tony, do you want to start? Certainly. I feel like I need to preface my, my list um, to explain that, you know, like we talked about, if you leave... Right in that period with uh, So In Love, Secret, all those songs was really my introduction to OMD. Um, and then after and I got both the Pacific Age and Crush on vinyl. And then uh, in college, I had the best of OMD on CD. And in my mind, they were a singles band. They had all these hit singles. You know, um, they might have had some UK success before, but I didn't know anything about it. Can I stop you right there and just say everything you, that you said ditto for me i mean that is like <laughs> verbatim what i was gonna say that's ex- it's like we're the same person <laughs> yeah. well where i'm gonna verge off from you probably okay. is i finished off college and listened to this college radio station and i want to say it was probably 94 maybe 93 uh it was after the album sugar tax had been released a little bit of time afterwards but this dj would play apollo 11 Mm. And I heard that song and learned it was by OMD and it sounded not at all what I expected to be by the band. So that got me reintroduced to OMD and to the album Sugar Tax, which in the era of grunge and all that other music that was out there, it was kind of a refuge for me. So I I actually really love Sugar Tax. I wanted to say that first because I feel like I may be the only person who says that. (laughs) And uh, I'll take the hit for that. But yeah. so with that big preamble, I know Joseph wanted my uh, my list, so sure. I just wanted to justify where okay. I rank Sugar Tax. <laughs> so I'll start off uh, number eight, The Pacific Age. Uh, number seven, Crush. Number six, Junk Culture. Uh, the second album, Organization, is number five. And I rank Sugar Tax at number four. The first album, uh, OMD, number three. Dazzle Ships, I have at number two. And then finally, Architecture and Mortality, I have at number one. Well, that really surprises me. I thought you were all going to be all about the mid to late 80s mm, albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, okay. Well, my, my list is um, way closer to yours, Tony, than I expected. Three of them I just absolutely adore. Uh, two of them I really don't like, and then the, the 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 remainder are are kind of like I I have a fair amount of ambivalence about. 
So um, the first two albums that I just, I can't see myself going back and listening to much at all. Um, at number eight is Junk Culture. Number seven is The Pacific Age. Number six is Sugar Tax. Five is, surprisingly enough, um, Organization. Number four is Crush. Number three, Dazzle Ships. Number two, Architecture and Morality. And my favorite OMD album is uh, their debut, uh, eponymously titled. Oh, very interesting. So what do you got for us, Patrick? Are you going to shake things up, or is it going to be kind of more of the same? <laughs> it, well, there are, there are more similarities than I perhaps imagined, and I was, I uh-huh. was going, to, I was going to, to preface my list by saying that um, nostalgia may have been deeply in operation mm-hmm. um, in, my, in my list. But um, yeah, number eight for me would be the Pacific Age. There's not a lot of love um, across across the Pacific, for for, for, for the Pacific age, <laughs> yeah. Um, then uh, sugar tax, uh, then crush, then number five junk culture, number four the self titled album, number three organization, number two dazzle ships, and number one architecture and morality. Okay, so it sounds like we uh, we all have um, an affinity for the earlier stuff. Yeah, so it seems, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I guess we are ready. Last episode, we talked about their debut album, uh, eponymously titled. This was a kind of a, a an instantaneous hit in the UK and other parts of Europe. The, the, the big hits were Electricity, Red Frame, White Light, and messages. We have heard Electricity, Red Frame, White Light, and Bunker Soldiers. Classic Pop Magazine thinks that this is the 71st greatest album of the 80s and the 26th best debut of all time. Something I discovered which I did not see coming at all you know who are big fans of this album? ZZ Top. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's amazing. That's amazing. To the point that they actually played this album at their concerts uh, in between sets, which <laughs> I'm not sure that they're like reading their audience right. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but if, if I was going to a ZZ Top gig, I would not want to hear Messerschmitt Mesh, Twins. The song Almost is the first one off of this album that we're going to feature tonight. I love just about every single song off of this album. This is this is my kind of synth pop. As I mentioned last episode, chronologically, I think this is the first synth pop album released that I love without any reservations. Um, the song almost, I believe, was uh, uh, also a song that uh, song that you singled out, Tony. Right? That's right. Yeah, similar to you. The you know the, the vocals for me. That's kind of the difference between maybe OMD and Kraftwerk, where it mm-hmm. seems like they're 
slightly separated from the music and mm-hmm. you know the, the a little more um the vocals are a little more dry if you will i feel like you know the andy's vocals are very warm and are a nice contrast to the electronical music album answers the question what if joy division and yellow magic orchestra got together and had a baby what would it sound like and it's this album i i just i think it's so weird and unlikely and grimy but but really catchy Tony, you mentioned last episode that they cite it as being sort of simplistic and naive. I actually agree with those those descriptions, but I think that's a strength of the album. I like that simplicity and the the really kind of like straight, raw, straightforwardness of it. It was a genuinely punk kind of album yeah. in the sense in the sense that the whole punk movement was about making music any way you could and mm-hmm. they had a tape recorder <laughs> they had a bass guitar an organ mm-hmm. and and a couple of synthesizers that i think cost 20 pounds and 50 pounds a piece uh, one of which they got from a mail order catalog so it was just and and as andy himself said uh i think it was andy who said that the yeah, one of the synthesizers it just made variations of the sound. So that that was the limitations they had, and it sounds like a band that was working fantastically within its limitations. Yeah, yeah. So, what song did you pick off of this album? We're going to listen to. Well, when I think of that first album, I always think back to Julia's song, uh-huh. um, and um, that was a song that that the band I was in uh, in 1984 um, actually played. So I had to learn the keyboard lines in this, in this song, including the solo, the, 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 the tricky sort of tinkly mm. solo. And it was the only solo that I had to play in the entire show. So I was petrified every time we played Julia's song because I knew it was, it was a rare moment when the spotlight was going to be on me. So... So, yeah, it always always gets sort of borderline panic attack whenever I, I hear Julia's song because I feel like, uh-oh, my, my kind of moment is, is coming up. Um, but the actual song itself, it's, so, it's such an unusual sound to have an electro-pop type of song, which is all about the driving bass riff all the mm-hmm. way through. And the lyrics are extremely peculiar, as in, you know, like, concentrate businessman. And because... Uh, my band played this song, you know, myself and the singer who had to sing these weird words. You know, we spent a lot of time trying to dissect the lyrics and never really got very far. So, so he was singing these songs, singing this song, didn't really know what the lyric was about. Um, and yeah, so it is extremely um, en- enigmatic. But yeah, I mean, I think Julia's song sounds fantastic even now. 
No, I agree, Patrick. Julia's song is a great song. It's one of the best tracks on this album, and honestly, uh, most of the tracks on this album are, are really good. For me, the weakest track is Dancing, which is an instrumental uh, to some degree. There's some a little bit of vocals on it, but even that track I think is really good. So it's hard to pick a, a clunker on this album. Like we talked about, there's some naiveness to their first album, but that's part of the charm for me and why this album is so great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. OMD, they were not done with 1980, so uh, their debut was released in February, and sometime in the fall, early winter of 1980, they released their second album called Organization. Enola Gay is on this, hit number one in Spain and Portugal and Italy. I'm not crazy about this album. It feels really rushed. It, it feels like a sophomore slump kind of album. I mean, the, the, the fact that it is released mere months after, after their debut kind of indicates that maybe the label was just eager to get something you know, a follow-up out. And all I can say about this album is, thank goodness that Enola Gay was was on this album. <laughs> this That probably, like, saved this album because the rest of it I find kind of flat and not particularly interesting. Um, how, how about the two of you? Yeah, my, my notes were uh, that the record label... Uh, basically requested of OMD that before Christmas they needed another mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I've got a quote from Andy that says, at the time we were too na- naive to disagree, mm-hmm. uh, basically to argue against it. I, I, You know, Enola Gay it has one sound to it. Obviously it has some lyrics that maybe aren't as, as cheerful as they sound like they are. And the rest <laughs> of the album feels much more, um, I wouldn't say depressing, but definitely a lot more somber. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is definitely an Ola Gay and the rest of the album. Yeah. And um, and I mean, yeah, it is. It is. It is quite quite melancholy. And I mean, the song in Ola Gay, I I think is is a really chilling song, given that you know it is about the uh, dropping of, of of an atomic bomb from an Ola Gay, which was the name of the uh, the B twenty nine super fortress. Mm-hmm. Which uh, dropped the bomb. Uh, you you probably learn learn all about that in school, do you? I'm not sure. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 So, um, but yeah, from an Australian perspective, I sort of had to learn that, you know, re- re- retrospectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, was it mother's proud of little boy today? Yeah. It just just really is, just yeah does send does send a shiver down the spine to to yeah. to kind of l- listen to it now. The pilot had named that. Uh, playing after his mother. So that line about the mother, are you proud of your boy? I mean, it's very yeah, much in yeah. line with, I mean, it's, it's, it's haunting if you understand it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well one thing I've, uh, I've always really appreciated about OMD is, so do, do either of you know, uh, did Andy, do, cause he's, he's a lead singer. I just assume that he writes most of the the lyrics. Is that true, or is, it seems to me like I read something about that? But it could be a, just an assumption on my part. Do do we know if he was the the chief lyric writer? 
Yeah, yeah, more or less, yeah. yeah I mean, uh-huh. uh, certainly this song was one that um, uh, both Paul Humphreys and the manager of the band, who was also named Paul, they, they heard an Ola Gay, the song, and said, that's pop rubbish. Mm. Forget it, being a single, we don't even want it on the album. So mm-hmm. so the other, the main Ola Gay in OMD didn't want an Ola Gay, didn't yeah. want to go anywhere near an Ola Gay. Yeah, which yeah. which is just extraordinary in in retrospect, because yeah. I I think it's it's such again such an incredible song and and yeah. completely unique. Okay, so we've got uh, your pick off of this album. Uh, Patrick, what do you got for us? Yeah, uh, well, Stan Lowe is probably my favourite track other than An Old Gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was inspired uh, the, with orchestral manoeuvres doing things their own way. Uh, Stan Lowe was inspired by the Stan Lowe um, oil refinery. Mm-hmm. Um, so writing about oil refineries and about... Um, uh, Boeing B-29 Super Fortresses. That was the OMD way on the yeah. early albums. And, but yeah, this particular song, um, I remember hearing it when I was 18 or 19. Um, and you know, in, in six and a half minutes, you know, this, this epic orchestral, almost medieval at times, it sounds like a hymn at times, it's clanging and industrial at other times. Um, and yeah, it was, it was such an incredible kind of melding of different sources that seem to be kind of decades or maybe centuries apart. And for me, as the impressionable teenager that I was, you know, I, I, I just thought it was, just thought it was extraordinary. It's Nineteen eighty-one sees the release of OMD's third album, Architecture and Morality. Uh, this was huge for them. So there were a number of singles released: uh, "Souvenir," which was number one in Spain and Portugal, and number three in the UK; "Joan of Arc," 
And then another Joan of Arc song uh, called May, uh, Made of New Orleans, uh, which was number one in Belgium, Netherlands, Spain, and West Germany. Uh, classic Pop thinks that this is the 13th best album of the 1980s and the 8th best electro-pop album of all time. Pace says it's the 5th greatest synth-pop album of all time. And Ultimate Classic Rock thinks it's the 35th greatest new wave album. So... You know, it's interesting because I know that early OMD, uh, Depeche Mode has cited uh, early OMD as a, a big influence, in particular, uh, Vince Clark, who was on Depeche Mode's first album uh, and then left the band. But I got to tell you, when I think of OMD and I think of Depeche Mode, it is this, this album makes me think of some of the earlier albums that Depeche Mode did after Vince Clark left. So in particular, I'm thinking of Construction Time again, and especially uh, uh, my favorite Depeche Mode album, um, A Broken Frame, where it's weird and it's dark um, but it's also uh, much more, uh, the production is a, is a lot a slicker. Um, it feels like they're in control of their sound and they are intentionally going in these weird, dark little corners, which I love. I, I think it's, it's a fascinating album. The two of you cited this as your favorite OMD <laughs> album, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're, you're right, Joseph, to, to, to make the comparison or to draw parallels with, with a broken frame, for instance, mm -hmm. the Depeche Mode album and Construction Time again. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, and I think as well you said uh, about this album sounding like OMD being in control of their sound, and I think that that's exactly right. It feels to me like a, a complete album. And mm -hmm. um, a couple of years ago we, in our podcast, chose our top five post-punk albums. And I think if I went as far as number six or number seven, I, I didn't choose architecture and morality in my top five, but it would be, it would be getting, getting up there now. And, mm -hmm. you know, for me, it is far and away my favourite OMD album because I think it's almost flawless mm -hmm. as an album. And it is, it, it's a conceptual album. It works really well as a, you know, 35-minute or whatever piece of music. But it's also got so many snappy melodies, so many sing-along moments, so many really peculiar bits and pieces and loud kind of grinding sounds and whatever yeah. else. So it just takes you on that kind of cliched musical journey. And, yeah, I just think it's, it, it's just extraordinary for, for, for these guys to, to have come up with this you know, relatively early in their career. So I think both of you uh, singled out the same song to feature tonight. That's um, Joan of Arc, Made of Orleans. Um, Tony, do you want to do you want to cue this one up? Uh, what 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 made you pick this song? I just love the way it builds. It's just got this tension to it, and I don't think the lyrics really kick in for 
for what a minute minute and a half as the song starts rolling uh, i had read that it was actually uh, a possible attempt at rewriting mole of kintyre which is a huge <laughs> uk hit um which is interesting it the, again another hit that was not a hit in the u.s but uh this song to me is one of many great songs on this album but i just love the tension the build-up the vocals by andy just just a great song and it was really their worldwide smash uh after enola gay OMD is the kind of band that will release an album with two songs with practically the same name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Patrick, do we know anything about the story behind that? It is a bit unusual. And they were and, and they were both released as singles and they were both big hits, which is so weird. <laughs> for for an for an electronic band to be harking back well, an English electronic band to be harking back to 15th century France. Yeah. Is 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 really bizarre and 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 very OMD. Yeah, yeah. that that melody, the, uh, which comes from a uh, mellotron, um, which is like a kind of a, a loop taped instrument f- from the nineteen sixties. Oddly enough, which, which which the Beatles used on songs like um, "Strawberry Fields Forever," um, and yeah, the idea that that one of the most modern peculiar songs you could imagine from the early 80s, the main sound came from the 1960s, mm. is, 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 really, is really unusual. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the, the, the song itself, I have to say, it was a bit of a grower for me. I always preferred or, or for a long time preferred the, the other Joan of Arc mm-hmm. song, which, it, which is much sort of prettier in a conventional sense. Uh, whereas, whereas Made of Orleans doesn't even really sound like a single to me because it's so weird. Um, but you know, the uh, the Germans knew what they were talking about. <laughs> the second song we're going to feature off of this album was uh, another one of their big hits. So, typically, we we like to avoid big hits when we get into these deep dives, but. Until you get to like 1985 or 86, there's no such thing as a big hit here in the United States for OMD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, I think and because 75% of our audience is here in the United States, uh, yeah. these big hits for OMD probably going to be not so familiar to, to a lot of our listeners. So the second song we're featuring tonight off of this album is the uh, song Souvenir.
I love Souvenir. Um, and again, like there was, it's such a, a beautiful song. Um, and it's almost kind of like e easy listening, sort of elevator music. Um, in the yeah, it's just it's just so kind of pure and lovely. And um, and Andy, in fact, uh, uh, Paul wrote the song, co-wrote the song with Martin Cooper. And Andy and Andy said, I genuinely thought it was a bit soppy. And since I hadn't written it, I found it hard to relate to. And he said it was too lush and too syrupy. So they sort of they were. They were occasionally harassing each other about each other's songs. You'll yeah. notice, yeah. Um, but yeah, I do. I do love this song. You know, it is. I, I remember. Um, you know, I heard it in in real time, if you like. And yeah, when I first heard it, I remember thinking I'd never heard a song like it in in my life. And it it does have um, again that kind of hymnal kind kind of quality. It is it is religious music in a way for the for the for the non religious. Yeah. Yeah. And that was talked about in a couple of things I read about how this album seemed to have more of a religious tone to it, even mm. though both um, uh, of members of OMD were were atheists, but they had an interest in that topic. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a this is a great album. Um, I this is this is an earlier. OMD album that I really like, but I don't think the words sweaty and grimy apply to this <laughs> at all. <laughs> but it's still dark and weird, and I love that part of it. Yeah, they definitely cleaned up their act from, yeah. a, from, a, from a sonic perspective. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to Dazzle Ships. This was released in 1983, and this album was a sort of a direct reaction to um, the popularity and sort of hysteria uh, raised over the previous album where I, I guess the uh, Paul and Andy just felt like they were getting too popular um, and didn't like that. This This kind of... You, you hear this again and again in the evolution of post-punk bands that hit it really big. There was a couple of singles off of this. Not, none of, neither of them are real big hits. Um, Genetic Engineering and Telegraph. And this album has been cited by um, quite a few artists not artists from the 80s, but actually artists from the 90s. Um, so Death Cab for Cutie, per, in particular, uh, cites this as a, a real influential album for, for them. Um, so very ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, I, I remember when, when this album came out and reading the reviews in the music magazines and, and all that and watching it, well, it... it, it, it it charted pretty well um, initially, but then just sank, sank like a stone within hours. Um, and uh, yeah, I, and I remember listening to it and being, well, I was always going to be disappointed because I loved architecture and morality so much. Yeah. But, but I really admired it because I could see that they were trying to do something really interesting and really different. And um Yes, yeah, so it was an album that maybe I more um, appreciated rather than loved. 
mm-hmm. um, at at the time. But yeah, I think I think you really do have to, to to admire a band that was prepared to 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 go off on such a tangent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the two songs that we featured tonight, both very catchy songs. I mean, they're you you read about this album and you get a sense that it is like going to be like the pop group or something like that. It's <laughs> yeah, not yeah, yeah. it's it's not like that at all. There's still a uh, a lot of very hooky, catchy stuff um just wrapped in, you know, a slightly more prickly outer exterior, mm-hmm. you know, which which I I really connected with uh, this this album was quite a surprise tony this this doesn't seem like it's quite down your alley as much <laughs> i know i ranked it uh what did i say number two. Oh, oh yeah mm. as my mm. second favorite but you're exactly right uh-huh. joseph because um like like i explained the um my progression through omd this was the last album that i listened to uh-huh. by omd i kind of went to the U.S. albums, if you will, went back to the first album. And this album I had heard, oh, this is the one that really derailed their career. So I did not (laughs) listen to it until the last uh, month or so, to be honest with you. And I heard it and I was like, wow, I completely expected this to be like just a a train wreck of an album. (laughs) And I absolutely loved it. It had, Mm -hmm. it's got that mix. You know, I think before I would say the U S albums, they tended to do away with a lot of these weird songs in between. Like this is Helena where they've got like two minutes where they're, you know, it sounds like radio waves and all these other things going on. And that really was something they abandoned once they got focused on the U S market. But I loved the way they mixed everything in on this album. Okay, let's go ahead and listen to the first song we're going to feature tonight off of this album. One of their um, singles. This is Telegraph. I've got a telegraph in They'd made an album with Dazzle Ships that was the anti-souvenir, if, if you like, um, and they lost 90% of their, of their audience. I think they sold 4 million copies of Architecture and Morality and 300,000 of Dazzle Ships, which is just, if, if that doesn't make you, your bank manager nervous, I don't, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what's going to. But, <laughs> but the song Telegraph, um, yeah, this is a reminder that they could still conjure up an irresistible pop song. Um, and you might say that it's one of the less important songs on the album. I mean, there are uh, tracks like ABC, Auto Industry, Time Zone, Swiss Radio International. Um, but, yeah, that repeating synth, synth riff, I think, is great. And, yeah, I mean, I've, all, I've always loved Telegraph. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
How about you, Tony? What what was your pick off of this album? Yeah, so another, I think, poppy, catchy song, Radio Waves, uh, is the one that I selected for this album, which to me has the best of OMD, which is some of the quirkiness, along with some great vocals and uh, emotive uh, singing. Radio Waves is a pretty hectic song by OMD's standards, at, you know, more, more, more beats per minute than you'd expect. And the lyric is really pretty sinister, where it's a radio, radio waves have life, you know, exclamation mark. <laughs> um, machines are living too, they're working for me and you. And just to continue for a couple more lines, through America to Albania, over Reagan's head under Moscow's bed, which, mm. which, which is a really good line, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, w- once again, you know, applying uh, a kind of a, a poppy sound to lyrics that are uh, distinctly not pop. <laughs> mm. Yeah, absolutely. The next album, Junk Culture, you know, it's kind of funny because they release Architecture Mor- Morality. It's a big hit. And then... So Andy and Paul like do this sort of knee jerk reaction and maybe go too far in the other direction and then s- discover that they were successful in, in stopping being so popular. And then <laughs> I guess they panic again and then go back to what I find a really unappealing extreme on junk, Ooh. junk culture. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, such a poppy album, but yet extremely annoying <laughs> at the same time. That's that's a big call, Joseph. <laughs> and it's it's interesting. They so they start the uh, this phase. It is most prominent here, but also in Crush, where they they do a really poppy song. But and maybe it's intentional. They add this really obtuse element to each song that is really annoying. So like thinking about the song Secrets off of the next album, really smooth, poppy song. And then that female vocal that comes in and says secrets, kind of atonally, (laughs) that just throws everything off. I, I don't know if like what that was in this album. They, they have a lot of what I would call, um, synthesizer toy car, toy car horns. Um, in fact, uh, the first song we're going to listen to off of this album, Tony, I believe your pick, uh, called love and violence has this, this very sort of like 
atonal synth, repetitive synth parts <laughs> um, that are in a lot of songs off of this album and then uh, several songs off of the next album that I find really off-putting. <laughs> um, so that is, that is I, I think none of us ranked this album particularly high, but it was a big hit for them. They had several successful singles, uh, Locomotion, Talking Loud and Clear, Tesla Girls, and Never Turn Away. Tesla Girls, I think, is sort of the apex of super <laughs> annoying. <laughs> that's, that's a song I cannot get through for the life yeah. of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I, think that, I think that's entirely justifiable. Uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and listen to Tony's pick called Love and Violence. Face to face, tears on a heart of stone. When she talks, I walk away. Seems to me it's just a waste of time. These are words I know she's heard before. I picked up slightly an accusatory tone from uh, from Joseph there when he was introducing <laughs> love and violence. Um, I, I it's probably more poppy than anything else for me, uh, uh, and maybe it reminds me of the mid '80s, the way it, those horns go off and and the way the song goes. I really still enjoy it, but I can understand why a lot of people would have been very put off uh, by that sound. Um, <laughs> I, I did want to comment on Locomotion being one of the hits from this album. That was also their final top 10 hit in the UK in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So, mm. you know, they had massive success in the early 80s, not even yep. crossing yep. over to the United States yet where they yep. would become yep. popular. But their popularity in the UK is completely the opposite of the popularity mm. that they had in the United States. This album is very, very produced, maybe overproduced i think the the biggest sin that this album commits and please uh jump in if, <laughs> if you disagree is i just i don't feel like the songwriting is there i mean you you look at locomotion and that's pretty like that's pretty paint by numbers songwriting right i i just i just don't feel like there's a lot of energetic innovative songwriting going on it just it all feels pretty bland and annoying mm. at the same time which mm. is a terrible combination <laughs> i didn't i didn't realize that i was going to be the junk culture <laughs> apologist but i'm i'm the fanboy relative to you guys uh regard, regarding junk culture um about half of this album i i like 
quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, the singles were largely terrible. So Tesla yeah. Girls, Locomotion, pr- pretty annoying. Um, Love and Violence, probably my least favourite al- so- song on the album. There is nothing about Love and Violence that I like. Um, but, <laughs> but, but there are some, some songs that I do like for sure. And um, OMD actually came out to Australia, their, their first Australian tour in 1984, to tour this album. So, so I sort of saw this, this album you know, live in, in concert. Um, and I also had the, the fantastic privilege of interviewing Andy McCluskey um, while, oh, while yeah. they were in Melbourne, which, which I might get to um, a little bit a little bit later on. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so, yeah, I think, I think it's a really patchy album. I can see why they, why they felt the need to try and do something a bit more commercial. And, yeah, I do really, really like the title track. Um, I like Hard Day, White Trash, I think, is an absolutely mm-hmm. kind of brutal mm-hmm. break breakup song, really yep. kind of, again, kind of quite chilling. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I can see why you would find it kind of annoying, and it is very, very digital. Yeah. In, you know, they they just discovered, you know, the, like the Fairlight computer and, you know, they're going for the full um, DX7 shiny, sparkly sounds and none of the grime. Absolutely, none yeah. of the grime. None of the grime is left, um, and a lot of kind of brassy type sounds. And yeah, yeah. It, it, in some ways, you know, it isn't a very likable album. Nineteen eighty-five sees the release of Crush. So, the, as I mentioned before, this was the first OMD album that I had. Um, a couple of uh, sizable hits here in the United States with So In Love and Secret. It's got some really nice pop in it. It has my other favorite OMD song, um, the title track called Crush. Um, I think at the time, this was the first time that I had heard a song like this skillfully built with mostly just samples. And... It really, it really holds up. Even, even now, it is just, it feels kind of timeless to to me. So let's let's go ahead and listen to um, Patrick. I believe this this was your pick off of this album as well, right, Crush? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I I, I really like this song, and it does hark back to their pre John Hughes days, which it mm-hmm. kind of was. Um, and yeah, it is weird and oblique. And I love the trombone solo, I think it is. Yeah. Um, amid the kind of classic sort of digital synth sounds. And, yeah, and, and despite the song having kind of a walking pace kind of rhythm, it's still got a, got a bit of funk to it. Yeah. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I can't think of another OMD song released on a, a studio album that has a profane word in it. Is it the only <laughs> OMD song with with a profane yeah. word? Mm, I think Do we know? Right. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Yeah, they they just kind of <laughs> slip it in there at the end. It is it is perfect. I mean, it is exactly the right word for <laughs> that song and that mood. Can't 
I completely agree. Crush is one of the highlights on this album. Um, this, as I mentioned earlier, this is one of the first, this is the first OMD album that I owned. And it was slightly strange. I know this was their attempt to get into the U.S. market, but it still had some some bizarreness to it. I mean, a 14-year-old kid listening to Crush and wondering what the heck this was about uh, made me think, okay, well, here's the hit songs from it. The rest of it, interesting but not really my thing at the time now as i've grown older i certainly appreciate it much more the overall album does feel like they're like like omd's american album and even the title on that this i might be kind of stretching it a little bit here but the word crush in terms of infatuation is quite an american kind of term is it? Huh. Yeah, I mean, I associate it with, with, with um, like watching the, the Brady Bunch. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, when I was about 10 years old, uh-huh. uh, you know, in the, in, in, in the 70s. And from the album artwork, which yeah. is very Edward Hopper, yeah. his yeah. sort of Night, Nighthawks painting. Um, and it's kind of like a, trying to appropriate a kind of a Hollywood noir sort of thing. And it, it seems like the kind of thing that, like, Tom Waits or John Cougar Mellencamp or someone yeah. would be would be doing an album cover, you know, along those lines. So it does feel a little bit try-hard to me. And the album has a lot of American references, um, 88 Seconds in, in Greensboro, uh, Native Daughters of the Golden West, yeah. which which isn't specifically about the, the organisation in uh, California, but, you know, it's, it's um, Golden West, you know, like the West does, you know, does have kind of global kind of yeah. resonant resonances. Wrapping up on Crush, that was 1985. We have to note in 1986, the Pretty in Pink soundtrack was yeah. released. Yeah. If You Leave was uh, hit number four here in the United States. It hit number five in Canada and New Zealand. This was a song that was written and recorded in 24 hours. So... John Hughes went to them and said, this is what I need. And they just banged it out. I, I guess they were going on tour the next day or, or a couple of days after that. So they just banged it out. John Hughes, Hughes had already filmed the scene that it was <laughs> yeah. going to play in. Yeah, As yeah, the yeah. actors were, were filmed <laughs> in the scene, they were dancing to Don't You Forget About Me. So John Hughes said, I need a song uh, that's 120 beats per minute. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was really his only requirement. Plus, other than yeah, yeah. here's the themes of the of the movie. I know that they had mixed feelings about that being their biggest <laughs> hit here in the United States. You know, I did I did watch that scene from uh-huh. from the film. It's on it's on YouTube, and I haven't seen the film itself for for, for a long time. Um, but uh, yeah, and and it's quite quiet. 
it's sort of like an like the the, the actors are, are talking most most yeah. of the way through, so it is it is quite quite subliminal. So, con- considering the stress that 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 John Hughes kind of put OMD under, can you do a song to a particular number of beats per minute? And I need it this time tomorrow. Is, yeah, is <laughs> you know a pretty hardcore hardcore request, but from OMD's um, perspective, obviously the fact that that it got to number four in the US made it all worthwhile. It only got to number 48 in the UK. Yeah. And that's 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 the extraordinary thing. The you know the the more mainstream and more sort of obvious that their songs became. And you would think, you know, like there there were lots of fairly straightforward love songs, you know, in the US sorry, the UK top ten. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in in 1986 there was no reason why If You Leave couldn't have been one of them. But that alienated <laughs> a lot of their hardcore European fans, British yeah. fans, yeah. by by going in what was such such a clearly you know commercial and you know they it just has America just in in in, in sort of flashing lights mm-hmm. all over it really. Well, this is them doing straight pop and not mm. throwing in any of their their two stuff, and I yeah, yeah. I I think that's just fine. I I feel like in a lot of the songs that they were they were producing that during this period they were trying to to have it both ways they were trying to be arty and challenging but also poppy at the same time and some artists can pull that off and OMD I think did that really well earlier on but I think at this point there's there's a lot of misses for me but this is a this is a new wave classic. Well, I don't like it one bit, obviously. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> well, you must not be American. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I think I was exactly the target demographic for someone who was going to load this song with a passion. Yeah. Because, yeah. because it is a straightforward love yep. song. Yeah. It is quite, it is qu- quite likeable, and I'm, and I'm quite capable of liking, I mean, like Howard Jones or, you know, someone yeah. who is kind of doing fairly similar songs around about that time, or, you, I mean, Pet Shop Boys and, and, and so on. And, and there are certain similar songs that, that, I, that I just like them without thinking about them. But this, it's like, you know, I, I hold OMD to, to a very high standard and they, 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 they let me down, they let their friends down, they let their whole family down. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not having this song for, you know, for, for one minute. 1986 also sees the release of the Pacific Age. Uh, this was very clearly aimed at the U.S. market, had a... Uh, a couple of very, very minor hits here in the United States with Forever Live and Die and We Love You. I feel like this is their their musical nadir. <laughs> the reason why I rate it one notch higher than junk culture is at least it's not annoying. <laughs> it's bland, it's entirely <laughs> forgettable, but it's not annoying. Um, you know, it's not offensive in any way possible it's just sort of there way overproduced lifeless i mean overproduced to the point where where it just feels limp and lifeless that's my not very even keeled <laughs> assessment of this album <laughs> well to to my surprise the only omd album that i could dig up 
on vinyl in my in my collection is the Pacific Age, uh. and, I've got, I've, and I've got no idea why I have this album on vinyl. Mm. Uh, maybe my maybe my sister bought it, and it just ended up in in, in my record collection. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been helpful in, in terms of having a look at the inner sleeve because the uh. photos photos of the band in the inner sleeve. And both Andy and Paul are wearing a bit of foundation by the look of it, a bit of eyeliner. Their hair is fully gelled. You know, like they are shamelessly going for a you know, a very pop star yeah. kind of look. And Andy himself had said or said retrospectively that we'd gone from making music as our art to making a record because we had to for business purposes, mm-hmm. for business purposes. That That is not... Not a phrase you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> in in relation to to music and uh, yeah, I mean I've I have this as my worst um, album. Yeah. Um, of of theirs, I think "Forever Live and Die" just is just ten times better than pretty much any other song on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, for for me, I th- you know I I think I think it's a really beautiful song. Um, and uh, Watch Us Fall I really like as well. But th- those two are, are the only songs you know, mm-hmm. that, I, that, I would, that I would listen to again, I think. Tony, you like the song Stay, The Black Rose and the Universal Wheel, right? I do. I think they definitely were going for U.S. appeal. I had – the song feels to me like some Duran Duran influences were somehow seeping through with what they were doing. But I do like, uh, I think this is a highlight on the album. album Pacific Age. I I don't think I have anything more to say about it. I, I've I've made I've said my piece for this album, um, <laughs> and I I think I've vomited enough negativity um, about this album. Well, it's interesting, um, Tony, that that you like Stay because Andy hates it. <laughs> I know. I was going to say that too. <laughs> um, and the uh, quote that I saw. Was well uh, the the song like it's called "Stay the Black Rose and the Universal Wheel" in, in brackets, and he says, "What a pretentious title for start." Um, he's saying that about his own title. Um, yeah, I saw and he that. says, yeah, "Yeah, I listen to that now, and I'm just like, what planet were we on? It's got all these gratuitous chord changes because the intro was written in a key that was completely different to the verse, and it's got all this programmed and real brass. What's a synth band using brass for?" He says, "I'm horrified. I cannot listen to it." So, yeah, that's that, that's fairly damning coming from someone within the band. After 1986, um, the, the band basically breaks up. The next album isn't released until 1991. This is OMD, but it's really just Andy at this point. I mean, he, he pulls in some more musicians, but the other three members, so Paul and the other two, go 
off and form the listening pool. This was actually one of OMD's most commercially successful albums. And I think it's all right as I was putting together which albums we were going to cover. And I saw, oh, it's just Andy. <laughs> I was convinced I was going to hate it. But this is, this is, this is all right. This is, um, you know, nothing annoying about it. It's not overly, it doesn't have that late 80s overproduced bloat sound to it that, that is so off-putting. I was thinking, well, the big difference between the Pacific Age and Sugar Tax in uh, released in 1991 was that Pet Shop Boys got really big. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like Andy was thinking of maybe maybe subconsciously but it, you you can my sense is that if the pet shop boys never happened that this album might sound significantly different yeah yeah my influence with music in the early 90s going against grunge for me was <laughs> erasure pet shop boys and then when i discovered this album sugar tax i i played these three albums a ton the mm. latest albums by all three artists because for me it was kind of the exact opposite of what everybody else was doing mm -hmm. and it just really uh, that's why sugar tax is almost my entry point to omd even though i listened to their earlier albums mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they had a number three hit in uk with sailing the seven seas um and then a couple other uh more minor hits with Pandora's Box, and Call My Name. This is a nice little album. It is a real showcase of Andy's songwriting yep. talents. Um, and yeah, I, I was fairly prepared to really dislike this album, um, which I'd never really listened to before. But song by song by song, they're, they're, they're really quite likable. Yes, I would describe the the song that you, I believe you picked off of this album, Walk Tall, as very likely. Yeah, I think it's just got a, got a pretty kind of cool groove. Um, the sound just feels a little bit fresher than, yeah. than some of the other tracks. And I'm a bit of a sucker for a wistful, melancholy, electro-pop song at a pretty low tempo. Yeah. So, yeah, it just ticks pretty much every, every box for me. one or two more albums um, under the OMD um, moniker and then um, reconciled with um, Paul and I believe one or maybe 
two of the other original band members and have been releasing albums since then. And I've heard most of them and, you know, they sound about what you would expect from from a band that where their heyday was in the late 70s mm. and, and early 80s. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe, certainly not the worst of the revival albums from a lot of a lot of their their peers i i think that they're they're pretty solid this year sees the release as i mentioned earlier the release of um their 14th album patrick i've been really looking forward to this conversation for for a while yeah yeah on two levels one to talk to you about omd and also to have an extended conversation with you where we get to expand the conversation, talk about all things punk and new wave, get a perspective of what it was like to consume this music in real time in Australia, talk some shop about your podcast, uh, all mm, of that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to do that, but... There's not going to be room in this episode to uh, include it. So I just want the listeners to know that uh, we are about to have uh, what I'm sure is a very lively conversation with Patrick. And that is something to look forward to. December is next month, uh, holiday season. We're going to take it off a break from our regular schedule. I would think that we will be able to include this uh, a conversation uh, with Patrick in some sort of bonus track episode. My guess is the very end of December, maybe the beginning of January, which of course segues into the upcoming schedule. So December we have off. But Tony, you and I and Rob, we're going to do our very first pop quiz episode. We are going to talk about all things January and February. I know that you've got a whole bunch of um, hopefully entertaining and perplexing questions about uh, these artists and these albums that uh, we've been talking so much about in uh, January and February of 1980. So that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In January, we're going to jump back in covering March of 1980 because of the holidays. Uh, that won't come out until the second half of January. So just a heads up on that. We are going to go out on Surprise, Surprise, an OMD song. This is actually a cut from their most recent album that was just released this year called Where We Started, which is uh, a pretty nice little ditty. Okay, Tony, I'll talk to you soon. Well, you, you'll be quizzing me. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds like fun. I'm looking forward to it. One last time, thank you so much, Patrick. Uh, it's been it's been a real pleasure. No, no, thanks so much. It's been it's been really really fun. Yeah. Okay, everybody. We'll talk to you in December. 